In the name of the true and living God, amen. Please be seated. So when you're a priest in a parish, you get contacted and asked to help with things that sometimes you have no idea and no, no possible way of expecting ahead of time. And one of these times happened a few years ago, and this is a story that I've never told in a pulpit before. I wanted to give it a few years, and now I'm about 3,000 miles away, and I think it's okay that I can share with you. And hopefully if people in California are watching online, you'll, you'll take it in the right way. There was a parishioner who contacted me, and, and they wanted to um, keep it very quiet because they just weren't sure what was happening, but they were concerned something that she and her husband were experiencing in their home. It seemed that there was an unwelcome presence, a ghost. Now, I've always been agnostic uh, on, the, on this particular subject matter, but I will say that what she described to me, and I trust her, are things that I absolutely could not explain. And there were a lot of things, and they all kind of pointed to one particular storyline of a particular personality that they thought was in their home. And they wanted to see if I could help them invite that presence to leave. So I did what you would do in a circumstance like this. I went to the internet. I put a little message out on Facebook to my friends near and far, clergy of many denominations, and I just a, a short little message saying, has anyone ever dealt with this before? What tips do you have? And it turns out, I will share with you, this is not as uncommon as you might think. Many clergy are asked to help very discreetly in circumstances like this, and people were able to give me some tips, and I would even learned something that we have uh, liturgies that are approved one of the liturgies of the church is called a house blessing. Some of you, I bet, have had house blessings in your home. If you read the language really carefully, there's one little part that specifically addresses the possibility of this kind of circumstance. And so I made my plan. I learned another thing, which is that um, a home having an unwelcome spirit is one thing. A person having an unwelcome spirit is above my pay grade. You send that one to the bishop. <laughs> So I could go into a lot more details, but I'll save that for coffee hour if anyone's interested. I will just tell you two things, which is, first, I will never forget the experience that we had. And the other is that happily, it appears that we were successful. We hear about a very different story, in many ways a much, much worse story, where this man comes to Jesus when he is visiting this area, this uh, part of the land which is inhabited by Gentiles, the, the Gerasenes. And this man comes to him who is possessed by many demons. When Jesus actually asks the name, uh, the spirits say that their name is Legion. And the word Legion is the word for a Roman uh, regiment of soldiers of four to 6,000. And this poor man, we get a picture of him being essentially imprisoned in his own body, sharing it with all of these terrible forces and these horrible details that he has had to endure. And Jesus is able to cast the spirits out. It's very dramatic. They go into a herd of swine and the swine go off the cliff. But then two things happen. We see first the reaction of the people in the village. 
And the people are very uncomfortable that this man has just been made free. It always surprises me when I read this story. Why were they not happy that this person had been liberated? If it were them, wouldn't they want the same thing? But they absolutely are not. They are uncomfortable, and they in fact ask Jesus if he would please leave, which he does. Then the other thing that we get is a picture of this man. He's been in the story, this man, but not really. We don't meet him until the first time when he is freed. And we get this evocative phrase describing him. He's sitting at Jesus' feet, and it says he is clothed and in his right mind. He's been made free, and he wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, no, not that. Rather, go, go back to your home and share all of the good things that God has done for you. God, who wants you and all of us to be free. We hear also in Paul's letter to the Galatians, which we hear this morning too, a message about freedom. It's an interesting letter. It's one of Paul's most unhappy letters. He's very upset because he has started these communities, these Christian churches, um, these non-Jewish people who had converted to the religion. And then Paul moves on and other evangelists have showed up on the scene and they're giving a different teaching. And Paul is so upset because these people are being told a different message. Most upsetting is that these evangelists are telling the Galatians that to be accepted as part of the family of God, they all will now have to adhere to all the requirements of the law, every part of the code, including circumcision. In other words, the people are being taught that the path to God is through what they do through works, through behavior, through practices, as opposed to through faith in the grace and the promise that is given in Jesus. They are being led astray, according to Paul, and listen to the words that he uses. He says, Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Trying to live up to all the parts of the law, you're always going to fail. The law divides and imprisons the people. And Paul wants them to be free. He tells them that they are not made right with God by their works, but by their faith. And it just so happens that if you have faith, good works inevitably will follow. Paul also points to baptism. And he uses this evocative language when he speaks of baptism, of being clothed in Christ. In our baptism, we all are clothed in Christ. And what that means, since there is one baptism, is we are all clothed in the same way. We all become one. Paul puts it like this. He says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. To be an heir or a child is not something that you can earn. 
It's something that you can receive. The meaning of baptism is not that it makes anybody more loved by God. We have already been accepted. We have already been loved. By baptism, we accept that we are accepted, as Paul Tillich would put it. We receive God's gift of grace, which is a gift to the giver, a gift to God to receive it. And we will actually say these words in a few minutes when we have these two baptisms this morning, that we receive these new ones into the household of God. We ask them to receive that gift. Juneteenth is also about what happens when people know that they are free. It's a fascinating holiday, in fact. If you think about the history of what happened, it's the day when the people who were still enslaved, even after the Civil War was over, finally learned that they have been made free. The Emancipation Proclamation that had already been proclaimed over two years earlier had come but had not been heard. It had not been followed. And so the freedom to them was not enacted until it was finally heard. The original sin of our nation, as it is often called, of slavery, was ended finally on that day, even though its effects were not ended. And the work of all people being truly free is a work that is still upon all of us to do. It's ongoing. There's a woman that I really admire who has been a mentor to me and many others in the church whose name is Catherine Meeks. And she leads a place called the Absalom Jones Center for the Episcopal Church in Atlanta. And I heard her say one time, the existence of racism imprisons the world. And she says that the work of racial healing is to help the world get out of prison. Paraphrasing Howard Thurman. When she speaks of it, you can hear in her what a serious call it is and also what a joyful call it is. She invites people into this work that she has given her life to to help the world get out of prison. This business of freedom has to involve everybody or else we will never get where God wants us all to be. There's a black pastor who is a friend of mine, a young man who once I saw wearing a t-shirt and on the front of his shirt it said, free-ish. Obviously a riff on the show, black-ish, and it gets the point across. And just think, there were about 250,000 people in Texas, maybe even many more, on this day in 1865 who were still enslaved on that day and who actually were free and didn't know it until the truth came on Juneteenth. Like the Galatians, free and didn't know it. Perhaps like us, more free than we know. Heirs of the promise. We are no longer imprisoned by the law, but instead children of God, clothed in Christ, clothed and in our right minds, brought together in the faith that we share and more equipped than we realize to be agents of God's grace, to share in God's work to set the world free. Amen.